This is for the nerds, this is for the brainiacs, this is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back, you ain't gonna touch me, you not gonna do nothing, you are not above me, I bet you wish you was me, I know it, I know. What is poppin' everybody, and welcome back to another special episode of the Only Friends Podcast. Well, you know, I'm here with my only friends. And we're actually missing the, my bestie today. I don't have no Tortuga, but he's out in the streets getting it popping. He's in the win 600. He's basically the chip leader. You look great today, man. That shot. I thank you. Looks fire. Uh, yeah, he, he has too many goddamn chips is the problem. He's got a lot of them. Like fifth in chips coming into the day? Uh, he's probably like 10. Top now. 10? Yeah. What, is, what, what, is a, what, what does a tortoise do with all of these betting chips? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to risk them now that he has them. No, he is, uh, he is the antithesis of risking it for the biscuit. Nah, he's out there swinging the fucking... What, wait, what do tortoises have? They have shells. Yeah, they have he's, shells. He's swinging a shell. Nope. <laughs> They're... They're attached. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm yeah. pretty sure I saw some type of cartoon where... A detachable was, shell? Yes. <laughs> I don't know about this, man. He might be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, but it's, instead of Teenage Mutant, he's like mid-aged. <laughs> <laughs> Normalized. This is what, <laughs> this is this what, is what Michelangelo looks like in his midlife. Yeah, he's the last Ronin. Yeah. <laughs> you make that reference, I've never seen it. I, it's I don't a know comic, a spinoff of where Michelangelo is the last... Of the remaining Ninja Turtles, where his fellow brothers have unfortunately gone beyond the realm of existence. <laughs> yeah. I have so, to tell you, of all the ones to make it, Michelangelo's the worst choice. That's why he became the best choice, because mm. he's become cold and cynical and becomes oh, and So learns, he's just Raphael now. He just, he becomes Brian when he has like Ace King and faces a four bet. Who was your favorite <laughs> Ninja Turtle? Honestly, because my favorite color was blue. Leonardo. Okay. But so, not a good reason. It's a weak reason, but... I yours? had cutouts of all the weapons. Okay. Are you serious? Huh? My, yeah, my grandfather made them all. Uh, and I always chose one. Mm -hmm. Michelangelo. I'm sure it was nunchucks, of for sure. Of course. Of course it was <laughs> I definitely can't see Conrad wielding a bow staff. No. Uh, I had him all those. Well, he also, you know, you, you align with the attributes of the turtles, right? Like... Donatello was the nerd. Michelangelo was the party dude. Le they say Leonardo was the leader, right? But, like, really, he was just the level-headed one. He was kind of a little bitch. Calculated. Yeah, fine. But, like, he wasn't really leading, you know? Like, he was just the, the come on, guys, kind of guy. You know what I mean? Like, he was a clear number two, in my opinion. I think, personally the obvious leader of the bunch. And this was demonstrated in the Turtles movie, if you've ever seen it. Man, this really makes me want to go back and watch all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles content. Raphael <laughs> was the obvious leader of the bunch. He's very aggro. Very aggro, very uh, lead by example, a little hot-headed, so he needs Leonardo to kind of re rein him in, you know, make some executive choices for him every now and again. Leonardo was a great number one, you know, but Raphael... He really was the, the one that inspired the group, I think. Yeah. Also a little bit of an asshole. I was seeing some theories as to why the, the weapons kind of are what they are for the turtles. <laughs> and 
the Michelangelo nunchucks is so counterintuitive because he's such a goofy guy. And in order <laughs> to use nunchucks in combat, you have to be so skilled and able to do stuff. Mm. And it was a very inverse type of relationship what? where, like Raphael, you're saying is very aggressive, but size are actually a defensive type of weapon. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, so I saw this whole sort of iceberg theory of all of the turtles have the counterbalance to what they actually are. Right. Where Leonardo is like the calculated one, but has this big fucking sword. Sure. Uh, yeah. And then like Donatello is super defensive, like super calculated. So he has like a bow staff, which is mostly used for like attacking purposes or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know? Did you ever play the video game? I, dude. I fucking loved that game. Well, game you, Boy Advance, for sure. I was like eight. This was the time the of my life. Staff, I was just thinking about... Uh, in, so Ninja Turtles 1, the video game for Nintendo, was awful. <laughs> but Ninja Turtles 2, also for Nintendo, amazing. I can't imagine not and having these. you take these. the bow staff and you just like throw the foot soldiers. Yeah. I, I couldn't imagine not having these games and I do not remember this at all. Wow, really? It was like, an arcade had, game too. But I had like every Nintendo game there was. So, like, I 100% had these games. You can play it in the arcade, too. Um, I played it... Oh, I know that sound. I know that sound. That's that's a foot soldier, man. <laughs> man, that's crazy. Put it, put it on the TV. I want to see it. I missed... I didn't realize I had all these there fun memories. There it is. Oh, yes. Okay. I knew okay. it. It was those little fucking rat foot soldiers or whatever they were. Wow, this is the OG one. Oh. I had the Game Boy Advance one. Okay, I'm lying. I remember it now. Yeah, no, <laughs> this game was so good. I, th this is like one of the few video games that I've beaten and beaten multiple times. Uh, it never gets old. Um, the Manhattan Project was pretty good, too. I think that was like the third or fourth iteration of the video game that came out. But, man... I think if I ever got back into video games, it would have to be like, super, like Super Nintendo and before. Mm. I think everything thereafter is like too advanced for me. You can buy a Switch and you can get every video game ever made, basically. Yeah, it's pretty strong. I remember when you had that. But one, I want to play on like a seventy-inch TV. You had that one phase where you got that console with games in it. You still have. We still have it at the house. Oh yeah. But no one uses. It. I just wanted to play Mike Tyson's Punch Out. To be honest. <laughs> Did you do it? Yeah, that was another game that I beat. Uh, there, there's like only a handful of games that I ever actually played to completion and like Tyson's Punch-Out um, Ninja Turtles Mario the original Mario wait what's it called is it, is it called Mario Super Mario, Super Mario? It's just Super yeah Mario. the original one for Nintendo I beat that one never beat 2 and 3 um, and then I beat it for Super Nintendo <laughs> I got a Super Nintendo so late in life I was like I think I think N64 had already come out when I finally got a Super Nintendo. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that the only game I've ever, ever beaten was GoldenEye, and that's because you could do it with a friend. Mm. It was cooperative. <laughs> I, I hated first-person shooter games. I loved GoldenEye. I never got into it. I thought it was so much really? fun. Nah, I liked RPGs a lot, and I liked sports games, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Tech Mobile was my shit. That was like Tech Mobile, Super Tech Mobile for Super Nintendo, like the best sports game ever created. Not even remotely close. I wasn't an RPG guy, but I was so slow to switch to Madden. I hated it. Mm -hmm. I loved it when so it first much. came out. It was just... I only knew Madden. I knew like PGA, like Tiger Woods PGA. Tour. Oh, Tiger! Oh, bro, we gambled so hard on Tiger Woods whenever <laughs> I was in college. So <laughs> fucking hard we gambled on that game. Like we would go on road trips and we'd just have like a sixteen-man tournament. Uh, playing Tiger Woods golf, but you would just never uh, like golf itself. Only the video game. I loved 
the video game. I loved everything about it. And I think it's because like you can isolate the strategy because you don't have to worry about uh, acquiring the skill set. Right? Like, I don't have to actually be good at these shots. Right. Because I'm playing with fucking controls. Tiger Woods and he's just good at all the shots. So I just have to get good at the strategy <laughs> aspect, right? But like golf in real life, fuck that, man. You actually have to be able to do stuff. Yeah, it's like it, it's it's so miserable to me. It's like fishing only more frustrating. You don't like I fishing? love fishing. Oh. I love fishing, but because it's I don't think of fishing as a sport. Like I think of fishing as a, a, a relaxing getaway activity where I'm just going to be like on a lake, pretty sedentary, listening to music, reading a book, whatever, throwing my line in, and and maybe pulling a few. Golf, it's like. <laughs> It's like I, I've gone once ever. It was for a bachelor party. And right. I was just so exhausted from doing nothing. <laughs> I'm just like, and we were on carts too. It wasn't like we were walking it, right? But it's just like up, down, up, down, ball in woods, find it. Like, I'm so fucking bored. I stink at this. I was teeing up from like the sand trap. Just no idea what's going on. I think I used a driver the whole fucking course. <laughs> it sounds like you. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because when people like golf and then see something like baseball, it was like, it's so slow, pitch thrown, guy stands, guy hits ball, maybe probably doesn't hit ball. This yeah. is the sport. Well, when you're good <laughs> at the mechanics, the strategy and uh, the, the like finer aspects of yeah, the, the game. the nuance is appealing. Yeah, it all becomes really fascinating, right? So it's like, I was good at baseball. If I were good at golf, I'm sure I would fucking love golf. Like, golf is an art and definitely a sport. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Um, but that hill. I, I think something has hit me. You can put the switch on the television. Okay, now we're talking. <laughs> probably. Now we're talking. Uh, I also probably like way overlooking the fact that uh, eight bit and sixteen bit probably not going to look great on a seventy inch TV. But maybe who knows? Yeah. I was a big first person shooter guy though. Like all of high school, COD from freshman to senior yeah, year. Never got into it, and then got into Borderlands for a bit. And now I don't see myself playing a video game for such a long time. I was a big NBA guy. I loved playing basketball. I like playing versus like brothers and friends. Yeah, we, we used to gamble a lot on 2K. basketball. Actually, it was me and my mom's boyfriend. We used to gamble a lot on basketball. What's the matter with you? He yeah. couldn't win. Here He's we just, go again. What, you can't win either. What do you want to play? <laughs> Literally. You, definitely, you don't have enough time in the day for this. That's the problem. Like it's I played true. a lot of video games in college, but it was all a means of like... Um, it was like a social activity where we all had downtime. Yeah. So we would create uh, like dynasty leagues for sports games, whatever was in season. If it was NBA, we were playing 2K. If it was football, we were playing Madden. And, you know, our, I didn't live in dorms. I lived, uh, like once I transferred, we lived in uh, these like on-campus apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. complexes. Yeah. Um, but there would be like, you know, 10 people to, uh, a like there would be 10, 10 apartments per floor. So each one would be four people. We would just take over an entire floor as the baseball team. So we'd have like, <laughs> you know, 16 to 20 kids that would want to play. We'd just develop these dynasty leagues where everyone would just choose a team and would have our fucking schedule. That's cool. And, you know, you'd play against each other throughout yeah. and uh, like would play out a full season of Madden. Like we, we literally had a schedule where it was like, all right, Lumbo, you and Tricky, you guys got to fucking play your game today so that we can move the season along because we can't move on to week 14 until you guys fucking finish. That's that's actually really cool. I never did something like that. Yeah, it was that. great. It was college. Man, college was fucking blast. The most fun I've had playing video games was playing against our neighbor. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> played Madden in the beginning of COVID for way too much. Honestly, <laughs> getting into uh, getting into poker in college 
if I if I could do anything over again, I wouldn't have discovered poker until uh, after I graduated. Oh, yeah, it kind of robbed uh, me of my senior year a little bit. I can see that. I only cared about baseball and poker, and I was putting so many more hours now into poker that, uh, like, as a senior, that should be your most social time. You're about to lose this entire, uh, you know, both dating pool and friend pool. Everybody's going to go on and do their own thing, whatever. And I just remember that, like, every second I wasn't at the gym, I was grinding somehow. I was either online or I was going to uh, a bunch of different casinos. And, and truthfully, it distracted me a little bit from even baseball, which was especially frustrating because I had a good senior year and, like, I did have these high hopes to try to get signed or whatever. Um, so, like, looking back on it, it's like, fuck, man. I don't know that I could have necessarily worked harder, but I could have like been way more in the moment there. Yeah. Like I remember my senior year kind of uh, flying by, and uh, but I was always looking forward, right? So it was like, you know, we win opening week, and I have this this career game or whatever, and I'm just like, okay, like I have a tryout in two weeks, and I have this game next week that I need to prepare for, and in the middle of all that, I have three poker trips lined up. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Like, this is it. <laughs> Landon. No. Quick, three Nirvana songs. I'm not playing this game. We've had this conversation too many times. You're wearing a Nirvana hoodie. I know. All right, one Nirvana song. <laughs> Smell, smells like Teen Spirit, Heart Shaped Box, Rape Me. Thanks, Melissa. Let's go. Hey, hey, Let's uh, go. Uh, my dude. My dude. <laughs> not that I was looking at the phone before that, but Melissa, we've, we've had a conversation about this song. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Sometimes knowledge that you didn't know it was going to be necessary became necessary. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not... I would definitely say I wish I found poker later in life me i mean to be fair if i had found it after college i probably would have never been successful because i would have been panicking to get like a job yeah if or, you found poker after college yeah maybe I, things have to work out the way they work out man i yeah. randomly came into poker to like through like playing a little friends game and then more dealing like bigger games so like i definitely wish i came into it later yeah i, I got like into Rob's poker through college uh played basketball at the gym recreationally had friends that said they knew how to play. I just knew how to play because my dad taught me when I was younger and then asked if I wanted to play a one-table sit-and-go. I did that, ended up winning. And then from there, I sort of realized that there was some sort of future if you could make smart decisions. And then I started playing online. And that's kind of how it started. Because you don't really know that poker is an industry until you realize that poker is an industry. Yeah. You just kind of think, oh, this could be something I can do to make quote-unquote money on the side. And then you can realize, oh, if I make enough money on the side, it just becomes the money that I make primarily. And then it shifts from there. Man, I saw it as like, I saw it so, so, so close to like professional sports. Really? Well, you're 21 and you watch this accountant from the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, win a million dollars. Yeah, yeah it's different. Or two million dollars yeah, or whatever. It's way different because of timing. Yeah, so like in my head, I'm just like, oh my God, this is sustainable not not just uh, sustainable is the wrong word it was more so like generational wealth yeah this is like i could just make a billion fucking dollars see i didn't see it from that lens because i was a little bit later yeah like i got into the game 21 what are you like 45 now 41 all right so like six years later okay yeah i mean yeah when i was when i was like really getting interested high stakes poker was the main show that was uh or it was like one of the main shows that was out there to watch. <clears throat> and, and I'm saying this is like, you know, as I was like 
really getting my feet wet year three, year four, where it was like, okay, I'm going to do this professionally. I stake poker is on the scene. Uh, Dur is just like kind of on the rise and just seems like there is endless amounts of money. And the truth of the matter is it, it was probably slightly less capped then than it is now, but not so much so that uh, you could expect to become a hundred millionaire. I think the difference was that the industry was so young that the idea of making a few million at anything was just like inconceivable, right? So it was like, even though we may have framed it that like we could be paid the same way that like uh, high achieving professional athletes get paid, the the reality is it was maybe like 10% of that, but that's still so much fucking money compared to actually getting a real job. Right, and you also have the ability to do it on your own terms. Yeah. Which is kind of the huge one. Yeah, that was... That was really nice. You Fucking Oscar got me into poker. Hmm. We used to play like five, Oscar might get me out of poker. I used to, we used to play five dollar <laughs> tournaments and at his, this kid Joey's house all the time. It was so much fun. Yeah. Was, poker was so much easier back then. Not that I ever won those five dollar tournaments, but it was just so much easier. Well, you were playing for five dollars. <laughs> it's usually going to be pretty easy at that point. It's pretty interesting talking about this timing-wise because a friend of mine that I used to play dorm room games with is actually coming to Vegas from today to Monday, and I haven't seen him in three to four years. But he used to be there when all of the winners from the dorm game would go walk to Whataburger at like 4 a.m. And everyone that didn't have any money that got dusted that day just went back to their dorm rooms and slept and got mad and sad. So we just have this Whataburger bond of... What? College is great. You have Whataburger in Florida? Tallahassee, yeah. Ah. Man. I, I really do feel like from a social standpoint, like I don't, I don't think everybody should go to college for the education. Matter of fact, I think it's probably at this point like uh, a pretty significant ripoff to even consider. But for the social aspect, I can't imagine spending that five-year time frame doing anything else. Like, I don't know how you guys do it. Like, just getting thrown into the world at 18, 19, 20, whatever. Well, I didn't. I left. <laughs> well, whatever. I mean, like, by 19 and a half or 20 years old, you were not in college yeah right you're like not amongst your peers anymore i don't i don't know man it's like a it's a sharp transition to go from the day-to-day -day grind of uh high school for 12 plus years where you're around a pretty comparable group but like more specifically you're in a peer group and you're doing like-minded things and you know you're 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 kind of selecting for right, you pick your peers yeah the attributes that you uh that you possess and then the ones that you admire and others and you know you 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 curate this nice little social um bubble that's a good way of putting it yeah a bubble you create your own bubble right that's the thing and then it's like you turn 18 and it's you you jump into the, the workforce like yeah i could barely wipe my ass at 18 and i was a pretty fucking old 18 year old like i was I, i'm exaggerating obviously but like having taken care of my mother and all, everything through her addiction, it's like I was very far along when it came to the maturity spectrum and at no juncture would I have been in a good place to like go do adult things, get an apartment, uh, you know, all, all this shit. Yeah, there's stuff that you just don't learn in high school and college, right? When it comes to even taxes in general or it comes to literally growing up as an adult where it just sort of gets thrust upon you. And when I left college and I left that so social circle of friends that I played poker with and I went back home, 
I could say that those were really good years for me because I got better at poker, but I definitely got so stunted in every other form of life that I didn't have any environment. My environment just became myself. I lived yeah. by myself for two years and didn't have friends around me because my brothers were in college and my friends stayed in college. I lived six hours away, so it's not like I was going to go up every other weekend or whatever to go back and hang out with them. Then it gets pretty brutal, especially if you don't know how to get a job. I just think there's like no real roadmap for that age, like that time frame. Like, what the fuck were you doing at 19? I actually fell into a really, um, so my mom was a pediatrician or a nurse practitioner, but um, sorry, one patients, whatever. So I was her medical assistant. And from there, I started babysitting for every family in downtown um, Manhattan, basically. And I started like this babysitting business. So you were just like, but kind of similar to, well, actually the opposite of Landon, but uh, kind of maybe similar to Landon now. You were just like only surrounded by adults. Yeah. And I, then I mean, children. I, yeah. I mean, I dropped out when I was like 16. So from there on out, uh, I moved to Virginia for like six months, but then I, from there on out, I was working with my mom. Yeah. That's, I, I mean, I, that's my, just so wild to me. My friends were like such a massive, massive part of so, my life at that time. So period. my friends were actually my mom's friends, kind of. So like even Oscar, I met Oscar through one of my mom's friends. That's his um, brothers. Mm -hmm. So like everybody that I was kind of around at that time was either somebody I met outside or one of my mom's friends. So or, for both of you at, at like different <laughs> junctures, you both were always surrounded by people who were like older. Yeah. Like I call that now like the friend tour stage, right? Where they're friends and mentors, but not straight friends, mm -hmm. but also invested in you more than just call it student mentor relationship yeah i've never had older peers yeah like the people i hung out with and like went out to like drink with were all just doctors and that's who i hung out with like from 18 to i don't know the the closest thing 18. i ever had to older peers was like upperclassmen when i was a sophomore because i had like good rapport mm -hmm. uh kind of being a leader on the team and also the fact that like we all gambled yeah uh, was a nice bridge but like, and that gap felt, when I was in college, that gap felt huge. You know, they were like 21, I was like 19, only two years, but like th those specific two years feel like a lot. Uh, I've never, even throughout poker, like I, don't, I can't really look back and say like, oh yeah, I was so lucky. Like I found this guy who had been doing it for X amount of years. He was so many years older than me. He kind of showed me, never like always have been my age and younger. It seems like it's part of a function of you kind of being in a friend group to begin with where you had mm. Lamana and Dan and you had your peers. Yeah. So you just kind of stuck with your peers and sort of learned things and experienced stuff together. Where when I first started with poker and trying to do something industry wise, I knew that the best way to go about it and learn more was going to be to learn from someone who's done it before. I think also it's uh it speaks to the generations like I think your generation as well as like the the younger millennials so if I'm like the elder millennial uh it's 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 closer to like the people who are maybe like Melissa's age now um I think those two generations really deeply understand the power of community and crowdsourcing uh and I think like the, us elder millennials, the Gen Xers and, and above, were very, very self-reliant, very self-sufficient. And uh, we didn't actually 
because we grew up pre-internet culture and then into it, right? So uh, at that point, we hadn't weaponized the internet, so to speak, or, or utilized you know, it. utilized it to our best benefit. Where now, it's like if you look around, a lot of uh, a, a lot of the economical problems that plagued generations of the past have been solved through this shared economy. Right, things like Airbnb, Uber, uh, you know, whatever the case may be, it's like you can almost you can almost rent anything. Right, it's a people point. service right. used from people's resources. So much peer to peer taking place now, where that just wasn't really a thing. Uh, you know, I grew up in a world where you had to be hesitant of anybody trying to sell you something. Like it was always going to be a scam, and uh, everybody was just trying to hustle. Like we grew up in hustle culture. Where now I think hustle culture is like changed. Hustle culture is more representative of like the tech space now. Yeah, it's a little bit different, right? Because <clears throat> even with the internet, there's still going to be those watch out if someone's trying to sell you something in the sense of phishing scams. There's always different ways to have some sort of nefarious action. But at the same time, there's also ways to use the internet for good so to speak. And poker is just such a small industry as is. It's so easy to talk to the community leaders, where if you look at other places like athletics or politics, you're not touching anybody that has any sort of potential. Yeah. Social media has definitely made everybody more accessible too. That's right. the other thing. It's like, if I wanted to reach out to Daniel when I was coming up, you know, pre 2010, to write him a letter or just like run into him at a tour stop and hope that he would give me a little bit of his time and actually be meaningful. I'll never forget this, man. This is, this is one of the funniest things ever. Um, when I first moved out here in like 2008, I was grinding at Bellagio playing like five ten, and one of our friends, Pete were out, uh, was out here also. And, uh, you know, he didn't necessarily play for a living. He was like in between dealing and playing part time and didn't have a ton of money, maybe a few thousand dollars. And Chow Jang, was uh playing bobby's room game mm -hmm. and uh, or no no uh, was it chow or was it ming it might have been ming uh it would make more sense for it to be ming the way the story plays out so uh ming Lai must have been in there like playing bobby's room game i think they were playing some uh i think they were playing some uh high stakes no limit so you know call it 204 and something along those lines mm -hmm. and my friend pete stops him like on his way to the bathroom and you know says like he's a big fan or whatever and then just ask him really quickly like if you had any advice for somebody who is uh trying to make it what would it be and ming <laughs> just very matter-of-factly says go play 1020 baby like you, you <laughs> take it all and put it on the table like don't hesitate you gotta get to the big stakes That's <laughs> sick mentorship right there yeah. Uh, right, because for me with Daniel, it just started with a bunch of memes and cat jamming, and now he's talking YouTube videos on a Lex Friedman podcast that the young cat jammer is cat jamming the Ace 4, Ace 5, blasting it off. Yeah, it's, it is pretty surreal because, I, you know, when Daniel and I started to develop a, a bit of a, a peer-like relationship, exchange phone numbers and, and things like that, that was a huge deal to me. It was like, oh, well, that means that I'm notably someone in this, in this industry. You know, this was early 2000s, or like early 2010s right so like you know maybe 2013 14 something like that it's like okay like i'm i'm turning the page in my career and getting to a point where i'm being recognized by you know somebody that uh, i looked up to on the way up yeah your idols become your rivals so to speak kind of yeah but now now it's one of those things where it's just like if you have any sort of social presence whatsoever especially a guy like daniel who's really active on there you're going to get acknowledged and uh there will be like some sort of a budding relationship that starts like I, I, I would never imagine 20 years ago 
being able to being able to uh, see friendships developed by somebody who is in the industry for 20 years, like call it a Doyle in uh, 2003, developing a relationship with like a Mike Jozoff or a Rampage right. or you, you know what I mean? Right, it's like, like Doyle and Mike are just riffing about having that dog in on. <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> like, just, you know, that, that shit just like would have never happened. The gap between those two peer groups is just so vast. But now the money factor is lessened uh, you young guns, you know, you're, you're competent immediately and you're really good again, again, because I think like your generation is so, um, so good at understanding how to crowdsource. Like you guys just crowdsource so fucking well and you use the shared economy so well that a lot of you are able to leverage your personality and your skill set very quickly into stakes that it takes most a decade to be able to work their way into. Yeah, I think it comes from a variety of reasons and not in necessarily all in the non-self-serving way. But now when it comes to the people you want to reach, especially through social media, you can try to validate yourself through gaining the attention of people that you cared about where you didn't have that, op that option prior because there was no way to access them. Right. But now when you have your idols and especially people in a space where for all intents and purposes, it's not a mainstream thing and it's pretty niche. Bingo! When it comes to uh, <laughs> having that sort of relationship and getting that message back and getting caught liked or retweeted by someone that you really cared about and having that sort of quick ways of having a new relationship where the person that you look up to sees you as someone that they now have some sort of connection to. Well, they acknowledge you at, Right, at a and minimum. that's a validating thing yeah. of being acknowledged and being respected by the people that you care about. Where if I tweet at LeBron, like LeBron's never going to like the tweet. Right. You know? But right. for you, if you tweet at Pat McAfee, that happened. Wow. And that was a very rewarding yeah. feeling. That was very Where? God damn, it got buried. Let's get that right back up. We got to get Pat front. McAfee on the podcast. We do got to get Pat He's McAfee He's coming to Vegas next year. For what? The Super Bowl. Mm. He was here for the Pro Bowl. We see, we see, he's got to start now, though. He was here for the Pro Bowl, and he had just picked up pickleball, so I was just blasting him. I was like, yo, we got to go to Sunset Park, man. Like, <laughs> I'm going to show you some shit. You and me, we're friends now, Pat. Yeah. Sunset Park, what this. time is it? Oh, it's that movie was so live. bad. It's time to represent. That movie was so bad. What? It was so disappointing. Oh, my uh, God. It was the best. Uh, I really thought it was going to be good, but it was really bad. I think we have to crowdsource getting Pat McAfee on this podcast. I think so. I, I think so. The the problem is, is that actually, uh, as much as I would love that, because I would, it would be incredible. It would actually probably be a bigger deal for me to be on his podcast than him to be on ours. As far as like what it would do for us growth wise. Yeah, but wholesome wise. Wholesome wise. <laughs> wholesome wise. Get him in that fucking chair, man. Yeah. Let's, let's talk plum. Let's talk yinzers. Uh, I, I'm here for it. It's supposed to be the only friends podcast. We're all, we're all supposed to be here chilling, but it just turns into a sabotage of just only you and Pat McAfee. It yeah. turns into... The Pittsburgh boys are back at it again. Man, I'm I'm here for that for <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> pivoting a little bit into, uh, I guess, speaking about the people that we we've all looked up to and the ability to communicate with them. I, I've had a lot of back and forth, more so in this past year than maybe the last ten with Helmuth, who um, you know we've we've spoken to one another a bunch over the years uh but never as much as we have recently and he tweeted yesterday that uh he has just decided it's official he's gonna film live at the bike march 1st and 2nd uh he said he owes them two days he invited me um 
Kevin Martinigan, uh, as well as Negrano. I think Kevin and Dean Eggs both turned it down. Uh, but Johnny Vibes is going to be there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he let me know that he's very excited to play with the great one. And I let him know that was very kind of him to compliment me in such a way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I ratioed the fuck out of him. How <laughs> rewarding is it? Honestly, I would have never even noticed if he didn't say nice ratio, bro. I like that. Uh, and then it became extremely rewarding. Yes. We were talking about ratios with him on the podcast, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. You guys, are, you're enjoying the youthful culture that is the internet. Uh, I, I don't. You I don't enjoy know if enjoy it, man. is the right word. You come back to the house sometimes. When and you when dunk you- on someone, it's enjoyable. But like, I wasn't, I wasn't actually, I was dunking on Phil in that instance, actually. Uh, right, just the sense of ratio culture in general. Where like you get enough upvotes on the internet, and you go, "I ratioed the fuck out of him." Like, <laughs> some, I mean, sometimes honestly, it's it's very. I, I I'm I'm growing to dislike Twitter, and that's bothersome to me because it was my favorite platform for a very long period of time. And I don't know if it's a combination of there being a shift in uh like like social culture as a whole or if it's actually just like the way that elon took over and like what he's doing to the algo and and everything else but man it's i used to doom scroll and like not feel bad about it and now like i feel anxiety even opening the app maybe that's a good thing then spend more time outside (laughs) i mean the thing is usually i'm scrolling outside but uh (laughs) stay more outside it's more so like you can't seem to curate anything meaningful off of the algorithm anymore. So it's like, you know, you have those two tabs, the, the for you tab, which is the algorithm uh, derived content that they think you're going to want to enjoy. And then they have the your followers tab. But the problem with the your followers tab is it still has this algorithmic aspect to it where you're forced to consume everything that the people you follow like, tweet, retweet, quote tweet like i mean you just end up i i follow like 95 people and if i just look at my uh people that you follow tab or whatever it equates to me having followed like six or seven hundred people within the space Mm. so it's like oftentimes that's why i don't increase my follower count is because uh i'm seeing you anyway and if i increase it to now including you I have to see the derivatives of everything that you also right. like. I see you and you adjacent. Yeah, it's like I don't trust I don't trust any of you to create content for me to consume. It's awful. I don't even trust myself. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, Twitter's Twitter's changed. Uh, honestly, like I think it's just the aspect that so much of social media is algorithm dr- driven, and people are getting much much better at figuring out ways to quote unquote hack the algorithm. Or manipulated in their favor. So, like, you know, for the last year, we've seen this trend of Twitter threads. I hate it. I'm over it, man. <laughs> I just, I just can't. And not because I don't think threads are valuable. I think the thread aspect is awesome. I love good, well thought out threads. They're, they're like a short blog post. So, chat GPT threads. Th- that's the problem. Almost all the threads that you see now are just a means for engagement farming. It's the engagement farming that I hate, right? Like when the thread starts with six easy tips for you to correct this, that, or the other, it's like, fuck you. And then the second thing is, um, I think that there's a lot of like signal boosting to, uh, to actual, I don't want to say meme accounts, but like, uh, very, uh, prerogative driven accounts, right? So 
Uh, for instance, there was a, a tweet that Liv quote tweeted today. And it wasn't, I don't think it was meant to be anything, but it inherently will create outrage. So she quote tweeted this account that said, uh, the five, um, these are, these are the five traits that or make common traits, five common traits that make men toxic. And when you go through the list, uh, it's masculinity toxic. Toxic, yeah right? it's but like when you go through the list it's just like such an eye roll it's like stoicism uh self-sufficient physically strong uh aggressive uh mentally strong or whatever like obviously traits that you would certainly sort for anyways anyways like no matter what like in a positive way and uh i immediately responded to live because she quote tweeted and said like ironically these are all the traits that make up a good poker player and I immediately responded with like this fucking list, Jesus. And then I looked on the account that she was quote tweeting and it was like a super hard driven anti-woke account. So obviously now this is a meme. Right. They're just basically saying like, this is what woke people would have you believe. So now I have to go back and delete my tweet because I was outraged at something that isn't actually real. And like, this is, it's all gone so far and it's all a means of manipulating uh, engagement. Yeah. It's engagement farming. It's yeah. a seek tweet. Yeah, 100%. and I used to seek tweet and still kind of will seek tweet sometimes, but I've definitely been a lot more conscious when it comes to the personal platform type stuff, and I've honestly been tweeting sort of less in that regard and staying off Twitter as much. Where when you're kind of just like shit posting, you don't really ha have in the back of your mind the impact that it could potentially have. Yeah. But now having that in the back of your mind and thinking, oh, is this actually a good idea to tweet this? Then you start realizing it's probably no. <laughs> right. Right. Um, man, it, we really do great jobs of tangenting. We managed to talk about how we got involved in poker and uh, the evolution of, or, or the gap closing in the peer to age group differential, all from talking about video games. Yeah. <laughs> this time now, we managed to talk about like social media and engagement farming somehow off of Helmuth announcing that he's going to play live at the bike next week. Well, that kind of is a seek tweet, right? <laughs> no, 100% was it. He is the king of seek tweets and not intentionally. It's just the way that he speaks, which, you know, God bless him for that. Yeah. We um, need a good uh, seek tweeter in the mix. Yeah. So unfortunately, well, I don't know if it's unfortunate or not, and I also don't know if it's definite or not, but... It just is. It seems unlikely that we'll be joined next week at Live at the Bike by uh, Eric, the mad genius Hicks, as he put out a, a bit of a... He rolled out a little bit of a gauntlet for those those men out in Triton. Oh, did he? Hi, I'm here with Eric Hicks, the conqueror of Phil Helmuth from, from Live at the Bike, and he's got a message for Paul Quart and Richard Young from Triton. I love Triton. It's my favorite show to watch on TV, my favorite poker show to watch, and I'd love to play on Triton. If you got a seat, I'll be there.
<laughs> oh, well, I guess there is a lot of context there to, to bring that whole story back. <laughs> Eric's playing my, my Triton. apologies. All right, well. Eric Hicks blasting. Yeah, Eric Hicks, he's going to do it. Uh, you guys missed a great, great three-minute conversation there. We're, we're really sorry for that, and we're going to move right along. <laughs> Uh, so final news and notes to discuss. Uh, Brewer is finally out of the shit. Let's give him a round of applause. Yeah, Brewer. Let's give him a round Brewer. of applause. Congratulations. Bro, this, this man, he got a job. <laughs> he got yeah. a job. He winded in. He feigned that he's going to leave forever. Wow. He did. Um, I was going to say, because I see him at every fucking stop. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, he still, he still plays, but he just needs some fucking walking around money, you uh, know? Okay. Uh so he won the 25k over in Paris and then followed that up with a 50k victory. The 50k victory was worth uh, 900 and some odd 959. euros. 959. Yeah, something like that. Uh, or pounds, rather. Um, was it euros or pounds? It was pounds. Okay, yes, pounds. Uh, so his first million Sorry, dollar score. But here's the crazier part euros, to this. Uh, what, am I, what am I saying? Yeah, it's euros. Yeah, so it's euros. Okay, so it's pretty I'm close sorry. to one to one then, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. He's getting W's. Anyway, uh, <laughs> his biggest score prior to this trip was only $400,000, which is insane because this is a man who has bubbled every single buy-in available yeah, over true. 100K. Fucking wild. It's so insane. <laughs> After the mullet was gone, the curse was lifted. Yeah, you had to get rid of the mullet, man. Getting rid of the mullet was a strong choice. Yeah. I, I will say that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, when it comes to to just like major bubbles, he's probably bubbled seven figures worth of of just min caches. Yeah, right. Bubbled the three hundred k. Yeah, bubbled the two fifty k. I think. Uh, bubbled for probably, sure. Plenty of hundred k. I was gonna say I'm probably sure. nine hundred k. Yeah. Uh, and you know when you think about it, it's like for as big as he's playing, to have never had a seven figure score at this point, it's no wonder that he fucking was ready to to move on you know what i mean because yeah. it's just kind of a given that when you're constantly playing in prize pools where first is going to be seven figures you're going to win one eventually yeah so he finally did he did it he's and back we're, we're happy for you we love that for you yeah, yeah congrats man the i sim think overlord is not a lie it still might be a lie we're not sure uh, i have faith year of brewer year of bin wang bin wang won the circuit and then he won the 5k uh on the return to Borgata. He's won like two massive tournaments in two months. He's a East Coast grinder? Uh, I think he just plays everything. Just plays for fun. Uh, like has a business and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's from East Coast though. Just okay. Pretty sure. Travels around. But not a grinder. Gets dubbed. I mean, he's a grinder He's a grinder. Sure. <laughs> he's, def- he's everywhere. He's fucking everywhere. I mean, make up your mind, man. If you run a business, it's tough to be a fucking grinder. No, like, he just got into poker late and then just loves it. Yeah. Okay. He's everywhere. That's fair. Uh... Pads is taking credit for, for Brewer's run good. Yeah, I saw that. Who is he picking next? Yeah, he, he tweeted uh, just less than a month ago, nobody runs worse than Brewer, right? Every time I read an update, it's just him getting two out or at best or bubbling. It's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that update was from, from um, PCA. So now here we are four weeks later, three weeks later, something like that. Brewer's just ripping off majors. I would like to... You know, cast myself as tribute. 
You volunteer be, as tribute? I, I would volunteer as tribute to be the guy who uh, previously could never win until Pads tweets that I could never win. Oh, yeah, this was a legendary one. Uh, Alex Kulev, future of me, uh, very, very good online player with the King 10. Mm. Bangs it off against his Kings. And <laughs> there's been so many stories that... Uh, like just like little anecdotes where I've seen Chris well, play in some spots and just get absolutely unfortunately coolered. And then I'll text him be like, man, that's brutal. And he'll say, I swear I run the worst. This is not an unexpected outcome. How can this happen again? Every time. Yeah. But like here he is. He's yeah. back. If you play long enough, you, you play know. long enough, you get enough, uh, you get out of your system, you know, yeah. every now and again, you know, you might find a win. I heard that uh, legendary Steven Song had like a two-year period where he almost quit too. And now here he is. Best. If you haven't considered quitting, are you actually a professional? Right. If you haven't considered True. quitting, are you really trying? Right. Really right. Trying? Like, do you just come for money? Yeah. Is that what happens? <laughs> you got to <laughs> contemplate leaving it all. Like at some point, the death of your career has to be on the forefront of your mind. Right. Otherwise, you're not, you're not gambling high enough. Is it worth it? Right. That's, that's exactly the way you separate from somebody who's like too risk averse versus somebody who like considers risk in a, in a mindful way, right? Like if you're so risk averse that you've never considered leaving poker for any other reason other than you're bored, you should be playing higher stakes. At least you gotta feel something. Yeah. Yeah. Like make it hurt a little bit. Jesus, man. Yeah, you guys are psychos. Uh, Guapo. <laughs> Guapo, what you got to say? You got to defend We're it. talking to you. Yeah. You got to go to the win. Go I, to I the you. win. I hear you. Do you hear us? I do. We have a daily conversation to Guapo, trying to get him to go play at the win. Instead, he goes home and plays 50 cent dollar on WSOP and makes all the money. But, you know, he'll make all the money at the win, too. Someday. <laughs> what do you do with all I, I this need money? To, I need to pad the bankroll just a little bit more. Uh, yeah, what do you, like, what like do you 200 buy-ins or something. I mean, we should stop shaming him because uh, <laughs> he he's, the, he's willing to work for nothing since he's so rich from playing these small stakes. Guapo has the most money in this <laughs> Probably true. That's why they call him Guapo. <laughs> That's actually not true. I actually get a pretty good amount of tortillas from everybody. So. <laughs> <laughs> tortilla. There you go. No. Yeah. No, don't you fucking try to spin we have, we have to hijack this bit somehow no, I was going to say that we have the majority today On the Tortua fans But then after you doing that I can't stand with you either <laughs> <laughs> So now this is a Truxican standoff Of stop with this nonsense I, I Listen, I'm on board with you man I also hate it, okay You just tried it I know because I'm trying to I'm trying to get rid of it. <laughs> Maybe if I can do something that's more annoying, it'll go away. It, it no. doesn't look good, cuz. Doesn't, doesn't look, look good, cuz. Yeah, shout out to Corey. There's 16 left in a ring event today, too. Yeah, well, you know he doesn't have enough. Might as well give him number six. And you got to give him number six. I, I honestly, do you think I, he has to just be playing for the merch at this point? Yes. Right? He doesn't. He didn't go to the fucking 600, 200k, so he could go play a 400 dollars right. ring event. Right. He told me. <laughs> he told me that they were running a 3k with like 50 people, and yeah. I go, "What did you bag?" Then he goes, "The 400." I go, <laughs> "What's first? He's like, "Like 14." <laughs> <laughs> you just want fucking jewelry, man. Like Corey, I'll, Corey I'll has added to the swap collection. And what? He fucking got him. Corey and I swapped uh, a couple days ago in a 
250 and a 500. And he won the 250 and got third in the 500. Online? Yeah. Jesus he Christ. fucking scammed him. He, honestly, Landon just hits the reds button and then he goes into the lobby and he's like, all right, who can I swap? Who's going to win today? I just know who's going to win because I know I haven't gone through enough pain. He's got lobby reads. <laughs> yeah. That's you sharp. don't want deck reads. You want player reads. Yeah, you know? that's sharp. You, you want to know who's going to win. And. Corey's very good at all ins. I watched him play Final Table and just like win like Ace Seven, Ace King, Jacks versus Ace Queen, like standard spots. So it's just like, okay, you're gonna win this tournament. God, what's that like, man? What's I, it like? It's been a while, but it'll, it'll come back. It always does, right? <laughs> well, Landon, does it? Well, you should win um, enough times if you jam Ace Five, right? I'm here to tell you, sir, that. The highlight of your career may actually be never putting it in with Ace Five correctly. <laughs> that might be what you are known for. That could potentially be what's written on your tombstone. Here lies a man who overvalued Ace Five. R.I.P. Okay Sim Lord. I'm okay with that. <laughs> R.I.P. Child of the Sim. Believe in. The what map. are we talking about today? Uh, well, the show's almost over. All right. No, uh, that's, that's not entirely true. But uh, the main topic of discussion that we will uh, address we'll, we'll, we'll address and end on. Hold on a second. Let me make sure the mics are on. And they haven't been? No, I'm joking. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that bad timing? Sorry. No, no, it's totally fine. Um, tanking, man. It's, it's still a thing. It's, it's still a thing. It's, it's becoming more of a thing. Uh, you know, these nits only want one thing and it's fucking disgusting. It's fucking disgusting. I, 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 I can't breathe. I like Yo as a person. I do. That's cool. I, I, I think he's a fine human. He's fun to be around. He is miserable to fucking play poker with. I played with him uh, twice in the win series, and I, he just didn't play any hands, so we only had to suffer through 45 to seconds to like two minutes pre. Miserable. He's knit. <laughs> he's a nitty, and he's goddamn slow as paint drying. Uh, and I think the only thing that frustrates me more than those two things combined is when there is a clear um what's the word uh, like like a clear performance element added to it he does this routine he was doing it on live of the bike when we were playing cash and it was just like insufferable yeah, everybody's playing so fucking fast he did it on the wind stream too and it's like he does this thing where it's like card cap glasses Best. down hat Not down, down. <laughs> hands over cards <laughs> Mouth agape. It's a ritual. Yeah, but it's a, it, it like you could have done it. You could have gone through this ritual while everyone else was folding. I'm like 95 percent sure that I had one at one point told him like before it was on him to start doing his routine before because <laughs> it was just like, dude. I mean, he's taking a very long time to fold every time. Yeah, he was getting shamed pretty hard when we were playing cash, uh, and. I, I don't, I don't know where the line is necessarily drawn between uh, do what makes you most comfortable and uh, you know, keep other people in mind, but I know that he crossed it a long time ago. Yeah. Like, I don't know where the line is, but he for sure crossed it. Uh, Jordan Christos long ago crossed it. I've never played. I played with him once, and he actually played so quick because I think it was like the end of registration, and he was just getting it in. <laughs> I'll, I'll never get it. But uh, so what happens, what, what ended up happening in the CPT Paris hand. So the, the clip that you guys just saw was 45 seconds of him tanking 
where at the end of the clip, he still had not made a decision. Who knows how long he tanked for? I'm not sure. He ultimately ended up jamming. I think it was near the bubble or whatever and got called by better. Uh, but the whole decision was for like, you know, 5% of his stack. Like if you go down the thread, you can see the, the conclusion video and he ends up paying off like what looks to be six chips from maybe a 200 chip stack. <laughs> so it's like, it, it, I'm sure it was a big strategic decision. I highly doubt it was one that warranted the routine and time that was taken. Um, but I think that it reopens the conversation that we've had many, many times and will continue to have until something is done about it of what the fuck do we do about these tankers? Because two things are happening. Number one, everybody who chooses to not tank is having a lot of EV stolen from them collectively. Right. I think real quick, sorry, is that people don't realize how much EV there actually is in doing it. And the answer is a lot. Right. Uh, well, yeah, so that kind of carries me to to uh, 1B, I would say. The people who are most abusive of tanking are not elite players, with the exception of Volgosang. He's, he's in a lone uh, category all his own. Everybody else who's tanking is tanking because it's the low-hanging fruit that increases their bottom line the, the, the easiest. It doesn't take any skill, right? Like, you just stall... And you win more money than if you would play. So it's low-hanging fruit. It's the same as like seat hopping in cash games or opting out of straddling when the entire table is doing it or uh, if fish are doing it, you know, making sure that you're sucking all the EV away from them and not giving anything back. Like there are just uh, very clear low-hanging fruits within the game structure that allow people who can't win otherwise or maybe can't win as much otherwise to increase their bottom line. And to me, that's where rules need to come into place. Wait, wait. Do you have $613,000 of winnings? I do. Oh, okay, keep going. I, I have a score bigger than that. I just wanted, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, so yeah, we're going to get into it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the second point that I was going to make, so the first point being uh, that... You know, these players are, are obviously stealing EV from those who don't participate. The second point of why this is becoming uh, a, a widespread issue and why we need to pay a lot more attention to it is that there's also a lot of misrepresented blame, I would say, miscategorization of people who are guilty of this. Uh, Asher Conniff tweeted today, uh, you know, th this is something about like euros. Like, this is what makes Euros insufferable or whatever. And, like, it's not fair to Euros. No. Like, it's not Europeans that are doing this across the board. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty slow in Bahamas, and there was mostly Europeans. Sure. It's I also mean, pretty slow <laughs> if you play a fucking 10K6 max. Yeah. It's right? just mostly anecdotal and anecdotal in nature and it's not a culture thing it's a personal choice right i mean to some degree it's a cultural thing but it's only because the only reason you're recognizing it more in the european uh market so to speak is because it's a more competitive market than the american market so the edges are smaller and people are more willing to go the extra mile to ensure that they are still winning when they're playing events right and just from it in general when it comes to saying people tank or not tank if the takes on average 30 seconds to make a decision post flop call it after a spot that's like call it a flop bet and you think about turn sizes and 
ranges and distributions. Poker is supposed to be a thinking game, and there's clearly a window of time that should be allotted. But the amount of time taken, call it overseas in a competitive market versus in the U.S., is definitely more on the Euro side and less on the American side. Yeah. It, so it's yes. just whatever's natural and normal to you. Because in the, norm, in the Euro market, if someone takes 30 seconds on the turn, that's a normal thing. But if you play on the American side and someone takes 30 seconds for a turn every time they play a turn, mm -hmm. it's like, this guy's taking up way too much time. You need to hurry the fuck up. Well, I think it's, I think it's in combination of having taken 30 seconds on the flop, having yeah. taken 30 seconds pre-flop. Like, all of that cumulatively adds up. I, I think we're willing to... Uh, we're willing to forego judgment whenever decisions are most critical. But if you're also taking up your full allotment of time when decisions are all but automated, that's where I think everybody starts to have a big problem. Yeah, it's weird in the sense of some decisions as a pro can definitely be automated, but at the same time, giving the benefit of the doubt Single raise pot preflop, there's zero reason for anyone to take time. If you don't know the charts, you're guessing anyway. So just guess and just do it already. And if you know charts, it's pre-programmed. There's nothing else to really consider, right? Like, sure, there might be an exploitative reason for you to want to do this, that, or the other, but you're going to know that before the cards are dealt. If I'm in the cutoff and I know that the big blind defends way too liberally and is just giving up a bunch of EV and the button doesn't three-bet me enough then I'm already going to know I'm opening wider before it folds to me, right? I don't need 30 seconds to look at Jack-7 suited and say, oh, pip too wide here. <laughs> Which it isn't. I know. Whatever, Jack-6 suited. Which it isn't. <laughs> Jack-6 suited cutoff is pretty wide. You're in. Okay, well. P you, you should love tournament poker. You get to play so many more I mean, hands. You don't have to tell me. I only play anti-poker. That's, that's the reason why. Nowadays, I remember when you know, anti used to be like frowned upon. Well, Not an MTTs or whatever, but... Just, people yeah. don't get it, man. Gotta play more hands. More hands, more gamble. People don't get it. More <sighs> gamble, more future. Honestly, honestly, like, yo is extra tilting to me watching him go through the rigmarole of the tank rather than just sitting there buffering, as it was said in the tweet. <laughs> uh, buffering is such a good term for it. Was it was so great. <laughs> it was so great. Um, but the, the whole point is, is that, like, those decisions are absolutely automated. Now, if you're talking about, like, three and four bet pots, okay, fine. Way, way, way fucking different. Take your time. We'll all be respect. Yeah, we'll all be respectful of that. But the single raise pot, man, like, it's got to die. Uh, I'll get off my soapbox as far as, like, complaining about it because, obviously, we're all in fucking agreement with the exception of a few outliers. The game needs to move along. Yeah, you sure. mean the people that take an excess amount of time greater than the norm yes. are against it? Correct. We, we need more shot clocks. I like shot clocks. They were in Venetian Day 2 the other day. I was pretty happy about that. Um, yeah. I, I think shot clocks are a very reasonable solution. Um, I think that, well, let me ask you guys, why do you think that they're not practically being implemented more across the board? Um, I think it's just, uh, one of those things once we get, uh, once we start getting everybody to change, it's just going to happen like uniformly, like all around. I think like, cost is a thing too, right? Uh, I, I mean, imagine if the WSOP, really. all those tables having to buy that many iPads or whatever it is they're using. I mean, they get them on a fire sale. They get so much in rake. Like, I don't think it's that much money. Like, it, it can't, that can't be the reason why we don't have them. What do you think, Lennon? Man, I'm trying to think of why, for call it bigger events. I think in some cases, people in general don't want to have 
something in the back of their minds that they're limited in time. Of course not. But like at the same time, you know, it's for the best, better of the game. Like, yeah. I think there's definitely been more of an openness to the shot clocks community wide, as we've seen that they're being implemented more so. And I honestly really like the online structure where you have the time bank. The yeah. issue is how do you do a time bank live? Yeah, live I'm right. sure it's possible. I don't have those answers. But what I do know is with the online time bank, it doesn't care if you are in a four bit pot with many chips, you've had this amount of time. It's been agreed upon and standardized. If you don't have less, if you have less time, that's because you took time elsewhere yeah. and everyone gets the same amount and then it gets refreshed on breaks yep. and stuff along those lines. So you, even if you are a serial tanker, if you will, mm -hmm. you only have a certain amount of time that you are able to take advantage of it where it's not an egregious, I get more than you because I'm taking more time and there's nothing to stop me from doing so. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that... I don't know what the right amount of time is for like pre-flop action or like flop action. Um, in the Venetian the other day, I think it was 15 seconds pre and you have a time bank for 30 <laughs> seconds, which I think you got six of them. And that, well, it didn't, but speaking to the floor, they're going to refresh them at 27, I believe. So, or you get a couple. That's, that's what WPT does. Yeah. Uh, I actually think that so I think that there's a good way to do a hybrid here of like what both you and Lander are talking about solution-wise. And uh, it's something that I'd like to see executed because in my experience uh, making the money in the WPTs, 27 down to the final six is a lot. And that's where all the, you know, you're making really, really, really big money decisions yeah. throughout that time frame. So only being allotted like three minutes of, uh, time, extension, of time extensions is relatively short in my opinion yeah i kind of agree with you it's kind of like irresponsible maybe a little bit well i i don't think you need that much more i think it should be like five minutes total uh -huh. but i think the way to properly do it is uh to have different time chips so maybe three separate colors one for 15 second extension one for 30 second extension one for a full minute okay uh so like at live at the bike we do six one minute extensions and I think it's like one of the worst structures that you could actually implement Yeah. because there are a lot of situations. If you watch when time chips are used, there are a very large number of situations where a time chip gets burned for an extra six seconds, yeah. an extra five seconds, an extra 10 seconds, yeah, right? Like sense. it's literally just sometimes you're, you're just trying to collect your thoughts in a big spot and you're unaware of the clock, and the next thing you know, you're counting down five, four, three, two, right? So like now you have to burn an extension. Having those 15-second extensions in those scenarios would be great. So I think like you should get a lot of 15-second extensions, like call it 10, and then maybe like uh, maybe like four 30-second extensions and two one-minute extensions, something along those lines, right? I like that. So it's like five or six minutes total. Um, Do... I think that should be only implemented after 27 left though. Like, or like when, when they're playing, when you're playing for bigger money, I, I don't think it should be like, everybody should have like, what's the difference. I actually think it's, uh, I actually think it's almost more important for the bubble because, um, if you just give like, say six, one minute extensions pre bubble, uh, it's easy to just like burn those and, and, uh, like waste clock. Yeah. Although I guess they don't really go, I, I don't think they actually 
start using the time banks until hand for hand, but uh, until but they hand. but but it really does need to be something that's pre bubble because like the bubble is one of the most egregious sp spots where people are are just burning clock. Yeah, right. Maybe you're right. Um, so like if I only give you two one minute extensions, now you have to burn a like it's very obvious now if you're burning a bunch of fifteen second extensions and you have no decision. Yeah, because it's pre flop. You know, uh, I, I think like now we could start to uh, give the floor the power to rule against that. Um, but we would, uh, it, there would obviously have to be some sort of caveat in the rules of like uh, the time extensions are a, a courtesy, not a right. That type of thing, mm -hmm. um, which I think would be pretty important to actually put in there because if you just make it a right where you just say, okay, everybody has five minutes. Then they can spend them as they see fit. Collectively can use it all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, uh, and maybe that's okay. Maybe that's okay, too. I'm open to both sides. I uh, mean, no, it's, I, don't, I don't like that because, like, if everybody have five minutes and you have a table that's short. Right, like, but if they just burn all their five minutes and then they're, they're clockless for the rest of the event, like, I mean, they're at a pretty big disadvantage once you're in the money. Sure. Okay. It's a give and take, right? It's a risk reward. I, I'm okay with it either way. There's obviously strategy involved in both, and I guess I'm I'm more open to whatever the cleaner solution is as far as uh, not involving subjectivity so much because that's the biggest issue with the current system, in my opinion. The calling the clock system in this hand, Yo had uh, it was a different hand than the one filmed, but in another hand on the bubble, Yo had the clock called on him three times in one hand. Yeah, that's a sad. That's I, fucked up. I mean, it's just like, what are we doing here? Like, at some point, you have to not even give him a countdown. And the second that clock is called, just say, like, your hand is dead in five, four, three, two. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Considering you get the clock calling you three times means excessive amount of time was taken on the streets that they had to get someone else involved to make you make a decision. So it definitely gets to a point where it becomes too much. I mean, if they can just put the chess clock on, um, like on those iPads, there's just no clean, clean way it, to yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, you're right. It's just too hard. Software-wise, it's nice for the GG software, right? Because with GG and for final tables, everyone gets the same amount of time, mm -hmm. and then once your time bank goes to zero, your hand is now dead. Yeah. So but you can't really implement that as much live, can you? I kind of think that there are a few creative solutions that could be done that may be a little difficult to execute, but could potentially change the culture altogether. And it's really about disincentivizing stalling, right? Right now, stalling is just, you're rewarded by making money. A lot of it. Right, which is a big problem. Um, I, I think there are a few alternative solutions. So first and foremost, I want to say that, uh, you know, the notion that shot clocks aren't being utilized now because it's uh, like a net negative for the wreck. That's the worst argument I've ever heard. It's terrible because the fact of the matter is that was the same argument for why we don't want to do a big blind ante. That was the same argument for any sort of structural change we've ever had. And nobody adapts faster than recreationals because they love the fucking game and want to be there. So anything that long-term is in their better benefit, they'll just adjust, period. Like, Rex didn't like time over rake because, like, they felt the payment, Right. It was the hidden cost versus the accepted cost. Yeah. But like rake is obviously substantially worse for them. Like night and day. And eventually like that was just explained throughout the years. And now, you know, recreationals are going to love time games over rake game. Anyway, the whole point that I'm trying to get at is I think there are creative solutions that can be done within the structure that need to be tested 
and could potentially become industry-wide standards. Like we already saw this happen in some regard online where the the fields were getting smaller and smaller because they were getting too tough um, because the general structure was just largely figured out. Like ICM was becoming more prevalent to play online as a professional. You had to understand it. And eventually like it kind of broke the system. So what happened? PKOs became the norm. It's the bulk of all schedules now, right? We can kind of do the same thing live. Okay, we can't implement a sh chess shot clock because it's just too it's too wonky right now. We don't have the tech for it. Maybe someday we will. Um, and we can't like implement a time bank or anything along those lines. So what can we do then instead to control the pace of play such that everybody's on an even playing field? I think that there are two solutions that are kind of out there, but stand the chance to be viable assuming that there isn't something i'm overlooking mechanically that would be a problem and i think the first solution is you just play hand for hand the entire event and i don't mean in the sense of um uh, of like everybody deal a hand now stop not in that regard in the sense of every table just plays at their own pace and they and you play call it 200 hands in day one don't care when you finish, right? If you're at a fast table, you finish early. If you're at a slow table, you finish late. That type of thing, right? And players will still have the liberty to call clock. The floor staff will still be in charge of managing it. Maybe we still even use a shot clock to ensure that the pace of play doesn't slow to a crawl. But why not just play 20 hands an hour for 10 hours, right? Mm. What's, what's the issue with this? What about table... Seat changing and stuff like table break, tables break, and like you're just gonna be on a different. No one's ever gonna play 200 hands. Like no one, ever, the, the, never the tournament's never uniformly gonna play 200 hands. Like everybody in the tournament. Well, what you're saying though doesn't really matter because that that'll always be uh, random. What does matter though is that the blinds don't go up until all the tables have completed their their quote unquote level. So like if you're playing 20 hands per level, so so to speak. Um, then what you're saying is true, right? If table one has, has finished, they can't go on to the next level because they may get a player uh, that was still currently playing the previous level, right? So that's, you're right. That's the obvious hiccup yeah. is that everybody would have to play uh, within some, so breaks would be weird. Yeah, that'd be pretty awkward. Bra breaks would be a little bit wonky, right? Um, and you would also have to do like short breaks pretty much every level to ensure that tables are caught up. Okay, so like maybe that idea isn't necessarily uh, easily achieved. Um, it's it's it seems like it's in the right direction though, right? Like that's what GD, GG does at their final tables. Uh, they play hands instead of time, which seems to make a lot of sense. Although it makes less sense at the final table than it does prior, right? Because there's no stalling at final tables. Well, there can be. In spots where the blinds are going to go up. Sure, to time, to time you your time big your blind. Button, you time yeah, a small yeah, blind, you yeah. time someone that's short going to be in the big blind kind yeah, of thing. That's fair. Uh, so my second, my second idea that, again, is like pretty out there is uh, take away the survivalist incentive or lessen it, I should say. And one of the ways that you could do that is to make mystery bounties the norm. Right, so if if you made mystery bounties the norm, and instead of putting a third of the prize pool to the bounty prize pool and two thirds to the 
to the normal structure, you inverse it where a third of the prize pool is being played for, but two thirds of the prize pool is actually a part of the mystery bounty. Uh, it really alters the ICM incentives significantly. It really does. It would also <clears throat> then make tournaments more like max gamble. Yeah. It would increase the variance of tournaments for sure, which I think everybody's fine with. By a lot. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, it would just change the strategy, not necessarily the actual variance itself. Um, well, there's less of the prize pool that you will be able to allocate because right. other so there's, people are So there's less of a desire to survive as far as like laddering goes. Then win but, there's a huge, but there's a huge desire to survive so that you can keep accumulating bounties. Yeah. So it's kind of this like, that's what I mean. It's like... There's a dichotomy. Yeah, which is good. I think, I think that that conflict is very good because stalling is very bad now because you yeah. need chips to bust people. Yep, and you just want so to navigating, navigating like an average to, to below average stack is bad. You just want to play more hands. You just want right. to be able to bust people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the structure would very likely speed up, and we would probably actually have to go the opposite route and um, implement like some structural changes, like running double levels or something like that to slow it down. Because what what you're actually saying is uh, the game would play bigger, right? the stakes of every level would effectively be larger because there's so much more incentive to playing all in pot. Yeah, Similar to PKOs online. Start, you definitely want to play more from the start as well. Right. Which is also good. Uh, reducing max late reg times, always a good thing. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there's a lot of good that can come from it. And the mystery bounty aspect of it is... Uh, enjoyable like, for one. It's enjoyable and it's, it's also just like irrelevant that the prizes are at random. If you win the most bounties, you're going to accumulate the highest EV in the bounty prize pool the majority of the time, right? And I think like the obvious pushback would people would be people saying like, oh, it's too much of a luck factor as far as like how much of the prize pool you accumulate. But they're just like drastically overlooking that the same is true in winning a major event. Like getting first place comes with a massive luck factor. Yeah. Yeah, true. Definitely have to be chosen to win MTTs. Right. Let's fucking go, Tortoise and Corey. Yeah, be I hope chosen. they're chosen. Tortoise. <laughs> Tortoise. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, my final suggestion is an annoying one, but uh, I would strongly consider if I was ever at the same table as like uh, somebody like Christos, uh, me just mimicking him, only worse. Like, folds to me, and I don't even act. I just sit there with my cards in front of me until somebody that, calls clock. Th this is not the thing. I feel like this is one of those things where this you're saying that uh, not to fight fire with fire, because there are some people that will then take it to the next level and then try to be more annoying Well, than you. the thing is... Yeah. Well, I think, it, I think if you get 10 tables in an event doing this, right? Because, like, here's the thing. If I do it, if, if he's already naturally doing it, and then I do it... Change will come immediately. And <laughs> yeah, and explain to the table why I'm doing it, and then the rest of my table also does it. And now we're just playing no hands. Yep. And now the table adjacent to us sees that we're playing absolutely zero hands. They are going to get upset and address it with the floor. Or maybe they start to stall, right? The whole point is that like sometimes it's not a matter of sussing out the people who are taking advantage of uh, a broken system, <laughs> but instead just fully collapsing the system yourself. <laughs> This is such a fucking horror show. This is the opposite of be the change you want to see in the world. 
not, while being the change you want to see in the world. Not always. <laughs> Fucking great. Sometimes you just absolutely have to, because like, here's the thing: a, a guy like Savage is hyper aware that stalling is a problem, that slow play is a problem, but it's not such a big problem that he or anyone else in the industry is willing to stick their neck out on a line and make a very aggressive sweeping change, right? Whether that means trying new things that may or may not work, that don't feel very comfortable, like shot clocks from the beginning of the event, a lot of uh, operators are afraid to do this because they think it'll turn away wrecks, right? Not true. Actually, right. they might even like it. Like, I, it's kind of cool. It's totally a cool agree. aspect. Like, totally agree. Totally agree. So it's like if we force their hand and collectively all sign up to an event and none of us play any fucking hands and we all just sit there and make it a real miserable experience for anybody who actually wanted to play poker that day. It's kind of great. Like at some point, <laughs> there has to be a solution, right? Like I think the solutions are being thought about at a surface level now. And yeah. I'm just as guilty of this to, to some degree where it's like even the, the options I'm offering now, like they're not very well sussed out. Yeah. But I think we can all agree that like the the band-aid of just well, let's implement shot clocks. It's just not good enough, man. It's not good enough because what you're going to do wh what happens with the implementation of shot clocks is that you you then encourage 100% of the field to utilize their shot clocks strategically. Which means that 100% of the field is now trying to maximize every second that they have in their time bank. Right? And if 100% of the field utilizes their five minutes efficiently, you've still turned the fucking tournament into a crawl. And you'll see this if you go back and look at the PCA main event, final table, or sorry, the uh, PSPC yeah. final table, they're all fucking short. PCA main event final table, they're all fucking short because the bubbles lasted hours. Three hours. Three levels for the bubbles. And right? this is because they all use their, their time banks? 40 out of the money people were stalling okay i busted 45 out of the money which by the way ended up being six hours before the bubble burst and 45 out of the money there was a player at my table who had like 15 bigs and every time it folded to him he would take a full 45 seconds Wild. so it's just like you break the structure of the event when that's the case. And there's always structures are built the way they're built. They're supposed to end at a certain level based off the number of chips in play. So no matter what you do to slow it down, if you still have 10% of the field remaining, whenever you are two or three levels away from when the tournament is supposed to end, it's still going to fucking end somewhere around that level. <laughs> All that's going to happen is everybody's going to be giga short and you're going to play a turbo for the rest of the time for all of the fucking money. Yep. Sure. Sucks. Well, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not sure, obviously, what the, the perfect solution is. I think it's an implementation of multiple uh, options. Shot clocks are obviously very necessary, but I think that they come with a caveat. I think they need to come with this is a, this is a courtesy, not a strategy type of thing i think calling the clock obviously should always be a courtesy that we can extend amongst one another but i also think it has massive failures it takes a full minute for the floor to even be alerted and then a full minute for them to walk over and then they give you a full minute and it's like this is a goddamn eternity 
yeah, when mean, we're talking about worth, making decisions. We don't necessarily have to have the answer at our fingertips right now, but sort of putting wheels in motion to think about it and crowdsource it seems like the right way to go because there might be an actionable solution that either haven't thought about or is easier to implement than we think. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure just like kind of putting the wheels in motion to getting that to be the case is the right step forward. Yeah, and I mean... Like, I don't have the answers, but I know, like, thinking about it might be able to... Right, and honestly, like, in sh- in the short term, all we can continue to do is, like, shame these people into playing faster. Yeah. And that sucks. That sucks that that's, like, our number one weapon. Yeah, but, it seemed like the weapon... Yeah, <laughs> weaponizing slow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what else can you do? Especially, like, when, when guys like Christos are convinced that that is what makes them good. Like... <laughs> The crazy thing about that statement is uh, it's very true if you just recognize that what, what the actual gain is is the fact that other people around you are playing dozens of hands and uh, taking on exorbitant amounts of risk while you're just sitting still. That's how you're winning by playing slowly. It's not that your brain is a fucking supercomputer that managed to reach <laughs> a node in the game tree that no one else could have discovered without you know weeks or months of of sim study yeah that's not what's happening here i've had conversations with people that i would consider to deem very smart and they said one of the highest ev actions you can take in tournaments especially like the standard vanilla ones like freeze outs or like non-special bounty or pko type stuff Mm. is max light registering and full tanking yeah and that accrues more win rate than just playing the event and especially when edges are thinner well yeah and i mean here's the thing like even if that isn't necessarily always true across the board it's a hundred percent fundamentally true if you aren't in the top 20 percent of the field right 10 percent of the field right like wherever all the wherever that line is where all the win rate is going to uh, if you're not a part of that small subset, the next tier under. Yeah. yeah, if you're the next tier under or below, you will always increase your win rate by just simply sitting there and not playing your fucking hand. Right. Tight you, is right, baby. Do you know where everybody but one doesn't tank? Who? At the win. Mm. The win sixteen hundred mystery bounty. They uh, banned Christos. Oh, so everybody doesn't tank. Period. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, <laughs> they they literally banned him for excessive tanking, which. <laughs> God fucking bless the win. Damn. Honestly, like, that's the other thing. That, that, that is literally... The o- that. Okay, so we didn't really talk about this as a solution, but, like, that's literally the other thing. I mean, this is a form of soft cheating. You're stealing from your peers because uh, we're playing a zero EV game, or a zero-sum game, rather, and you are making a positive sum for yourself by forcing them to do something that you're unwilling to do, which is play hands. Uh, if Not a bad idea. Yeah. If If... It's, these are all private-owned corporations. If you don't want this person's business because he's a notorious tanker, fucking ban him. Yeah. Ban him from the World Series. Ban him from the WPT. Ban him from the win. I don't give a shit. I have no, no soft spot whatsoever for people who want to be innovators at the cost of others. It kind of makes sense where you sort of give the appropriate warnings, right? There's clearly a tiered system as to how many times this can happen before max penalty of you're out yeah but that seems like a step in the right direction honestly like setting that precedent and putting that warning out there of like listen 
you have one minute to act on your hand. This is the fourth time clock's been called on you this event. If you hit number five, you will not be welcome back here. I, I'm actually, I wonder how that all went down. I know I can probably go down Christos' Christus, timeline, but like, <laughs> I wonder how he got, received that ban. Yeah, it, I, don't, I don't know. It has to be something egregious for him. Well, I know it's I'm not positive egregious. it was over tanking, but like, I'm, I'm positive he's banned from the win. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty sick solution, actually. WSOP used to do a thing where they, uh, they would keep like, I don't want to say a score sheet, but they would, they would keep uh, notes on how many penalties players received. And after X amount of penalties, they would just be DQ'd from the event. Right, yeah. it was like kind of like a yellow card, red card situation in soccer. Do this with getting the clock called on you, right? Now the only problem is like it becomes a little bit subjective. Yeah. But uh, I don't care. Like your operators, and, and the thing is, I don't want to give too much power to the operators. Yeah, to the I was point gonna say I don't want things leave things up to. But bro, like, that's where we're at anyway. No, I agree. Like I we don't have any, we don't have any, uh, you know, players union that can prevent people like if if the wsop decides to randomly ban you tomorrow mm -hmm. just because or Racism, if don't do it or if that woman that uh you know came up to you in the main event who thought you were vaping takes that to the higher ups and they go you know what we don't even want to deal with this problem just fucking ban conrad for life we don't have any recourse yeah you're just nice. banned for life that's it well well the recourse is twitter yeah <laughs> but like please help me <laughs> right and like you know you having a podcast will help you but uh that's not true of everybody that's uh, true you know people been out for years now many many years <laughs> uh that's gonna do it for us if you didn't tank on this topic would love to hear uh your thoughts in the comments below don't forget that we have uh, two academies coming up, one in April, April 15th to the 18th. That's the final Poker Out Loud Academy of the year. Uh, I believe we have a few seats remaining for that. If you're interested, head to academy.solfwide.io or hit hashtag academy in the chat. It'll take you to the link. Uh, secondly, we are doing a pre-World Series MTT Academy led by Matt Hunt, May 24th to the 27th. For more information on that, head to academy.solfwide.io. Click the banner above that says MTT Academy. You'll be able to get all of the details there. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow. The tortoise will be back in his chair where he rightfully belongs. Landon, however, will be on a plane to LA. So Godspeed, young man. Yeah, you're gonna have some fun with some peers. Enjoy yourself out there with the with the youngins that you're running around with. We'll see you guys back here same time tomorrow, 11 a.m. Pacific. Peace. You going to do some hood shit?